we find ourselves um, in what we call in the life of the church the second week of the season of Lent. And um, Lent is patterned after these 40 days that Jesus spends in the wilderness um, wrestling with the temptations of Satan. Um, and he is tempted to, to do things his own way. He's tempted to um, kind of make himself famous. He's tempted to be spectacular in his ministry. And these are temptations that Jesus resists over 40 days. These are temptations that you and I face every day, every day of our life. And, and probably the most persistent temptation is um, self-interest. It's kind of looking after ourselves. And um, during the season of Lent, we want to scrape away all of our posturing, scrape away all of our posing, um, scrape away all of that self-interest and kind of look deep within ourselves. Uh, and the way we've chosen to do that is by asking questions. Last week we asked a question, why do I need forgiveness? And today we're going to look at this question, why do I need faith? And we're going to go again, as we did last week, to the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning uh, of the story of human history. And in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, we read about this man named Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Abram was 75 years old. Now at 75, I don't know what you're thinking about. Some of you may be 75. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not quite there, but I'm inching closely toward it. At 75, I'm not planning to move. I'm not planning to pick up everything I own, to pack it all up, and to leave, and to go somewhere else. And that that's exactly, that is exactly what God asked Abram to do. Go from your country, go from your people, and go from your father's household. Go from your country. From your familiar language, from your familiar customs, from your cultural norms, and all the values that you've had in your life, leave all that behind. Go to a foreign, leave the United States of America, and go to Somalia, or South Africa, or, or someplace in Europe. Just pack up and go there, and leave everything you know, and that has brought you comfort behind. Go there. So leave behind your country. And leave behind your family, those who are closest to you, the people that you can truly count on in life, those who will never abandon you, those who you turn to when you're in need or difficulty, those who will take you in, those who will rescue you, those who will be there for you, your security blanket. Leave all those people behind and go somewhere where you will know no one. 
and leave your father's household, your extended family, your business colleagues, your neighbors, your in-laws. Well, that's probably not a good example. Uh, the people that you've known for your whole life, leave behind your nest egg. Leave behind those important traditions that you've developed. Leave all that behind and go. Go. Did you notice after go, it's not like and go and then give you directions or a destination or an itinerary? Abraham, you're 75. Pack up everything, pick up everything and go. And eventually I'll let you know what your destination might be. Now that's not the way we work. We like plans and itineraries and directions and assurances and contracts. We like job descriptions. We like to know that where we're ever going to move, there'll be a good school for our children. We, we go ahead of time and we scout neighborhoods. Where should we live? You know, what's the rating of this school? You know, my kids are thinking about a move um, from the north suburbs down here where it's better. And, um, and they're investigating neighborhoods and investigating schools. I mean, their daughter's three and a half. Got to make sure you got that in place when you move down here. But they're not just moving down here on a whim. They're investigating everything, making sure it's all going to work out. You know, we don't work that way. This kind of faith that Abraham is asked to exhibit is crazy business in our minds. And yet we say, what about ourselves? Well, we are people of faith. We're people of faith. We operate by faith. And the Bible says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's the faith that we have. And Abraham's had that in spades. No wonder the Apostle Paul uses Abraham as an example when he says, here's what faith is all about. What then shall we say that, that Abraham, our, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter, talking about faith? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. In other words, if Abraham had decided at age 75 he was going to move, had worked out an itinerary, had figured out a plan, knew exactly what he was going to do, and accomplished it, then Abraham could take credit. But that's not the way it happened. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, at the heart of what it means to be a Christian is one word. And that word is faith. I mean, we live a lot by faith and oftentimes we're not even paying attention to that's exactly what we're doing last week we we dealt with this issue of forgiveness and you know we talked about forgiveness and we believe in forgiveness we love to believe in forgiveness we need forgiveness but none of us can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are forgiven the scripture tells us that but it takes a leap of faith to actually live there I mean your arrival here this morning was an act of faith how many of you thought it that way 
Did you ride with someone who didn't drive well or what? How did you? But when you came here, right, you imagined that the doors were going to be open and the lights were going to be on and that today we'd actually need heat in the building and you trusted that somebody had put together a service of worship and that perhaps musicians had practiced and liturgies had been written and a sermon might have been prepared. You believed all that was going to happen before you ever showed up here today and you came on faith and shazam! When you go out of this building today, you're going to walk out to your car and you're either going to do it the old-fashioned way where you actually have to turn a key or simply push the power button and you believe your car is going to start. And if it doesn't start, you're not going to know what to do because everything's computerized these days and you have nothing to do. Call somebody. But right now, no one's thinking, my car's not going to start. I can't prove to you today beyond a shadow of a doubt that the resurrection took place. I could cite to you all sorts of evidence. I could point to the historicity of things. But I can't prove it to you without a shadow of a doubt. It it takes a little bit of a leap of faith. I mean, if you keep reading the story of Abram, I mean, this is like, this is, I mean, moving when you're 75 and leaving everything behind, that's not a big deal. Because God comes to Abram at age 90 and says, I know you and Sarah have never had children and you've longed for children your whole life and you've been an outcast in society and even in your faith community because you couldn't have children. But guess what? At age 90, you're going to have a baby. And you know how they responded? They laughed. Well, of course they laughed. But they had to accept it by faith. And then, if that wasn't enough, God comes later after that baby is born and says, I want you to take Isaac, this son of yours that you long for your entire life, and I want you to take him out to a remote place and I want you to sacrifice him. This whole faith walking thing is crazy business. It requires sacrifice. Faith is risky. And faith requires trust. I mean, for Abraham, it was, the, it was the sacrifice of safety and security, leaving behind your family and friends for the unknown. There, there may be nothing more frightening for us than the unknown. Jesus sacrificed his own life on our behalf having faith that everything his father had promised him would take place and was true. The disciples had faith that following Jesus was the right thing that God wanted them to do. And they, just like Abraham, had to leave everything behind. Their businesses, their families, their faith communities, everything. Their reputation, their status. And move into danger. And some lost their lives. But it didn't deter the others from having faith. Faith requires sacrifice. Faith is risky. I mean, God called Abraham and told him to go. No destination, 
No directions, no itinerary, just, you know, go, which is horribly risky. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not a big on risk. <laughs> you know, we, 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 I'll assess risk. And one of the ways I assess risk is the same way you do. Well, what's the reward? Is it worth the reward in the end? You know, what's, what's the possibility of reward in the end? Uh, you know, when I, when I first um, was part of a retirement plan, I remember meeting with the guy who ran the whole thing for our denomination, and, and he gave uh, all of us, and anybody who was in the retirement plan, he gave us a little quiz um, to assess our risk tolerance. You know, what's your risk tolerance? Some people, by personality, play it safe, right? You can take your, your retirement money and you can invest it in a money market. And it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare thing, you know. You know, the money market thing is like the tortoise. It grows very slowly, but it, but it grows. And eventually, you'll have enough money to retire on, which is a lie. Uh, and then... Or you could be more risky, right? You, can, you could put more, a higher percentage of your investment in your retirement account in the stock market. And the stock market goes up. And now you can't predict the stock market. What's our risk tolerance when it comes to faith? Do we have to assess everything? Do we have to have everything in place? Abram is taking a huge risk. He was leaving everything behind that represented safety and security because of a promise to God. <coughs> a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated um, our, our mission program here at church, and there was a young couple here, Bobby and Hope, who had been a part of our church for a long time, living here in the western suburbs like the rest of us when they sensed that God was calling them to mission work. And it was like the call of Abram. He, he called them to mission work. They had to leave everything, family, a home, equity, a job, safety, security, everything, to go into the mission field. It was a huge risk. And the Sunday that they were here, having done that for several years, and the Sunday that they were here a few weeks ago, they were, were taking their three young children on the plane to go to yet another mission assignment, and they had no place to live. They didn't know where they were going to live. <coughs> Excuse me. Someone was going to meet them there and hopefully help them find a place to live. But there was no assurance they were going to find a place to live. Three kids. How would the schooling go? They were going to homeschool. We'll see how that works out. And they serve in a place where they don't even want their name to be known, their last name to be known or identified with, because it's just too risky. That's a kind of faith that I'm not sure I possess, but that's what faith is all about. It's risky. <coughs> and faith requires trust. I mean, they're synonymous in many ways, faith and trust. If you think about it, trust is something that is earned. If you have someone that you trust, let's say you trust them with a piece of information about yourself that you don't want anybody else to know, and they pass that information on to somebody else, then that trust is broken. How is that trust restored? It takes time to build trust. 
once it's been broken. The scriptures remind us again and again of God's faithfulness. Psalm 145 verse 13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises. Not just in some of his promises. In all that he promises, you can trust God. And faithful in everything that he does. Now, in some ways, faith doesn't require sacrifice or risk. Because God has proven himself faithful. If God is so trustworthy, then what's the risk that's really involved? Now, since I announced that I was going to retire, I get asked the same question over and over and over again, which is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Usually followed by the, the, the comment that, well, you know, you can't go golfing every day. And I usually say, well, I've heard that theory, but sometimes theories have to be tested. Maybe I could go golfing every day. I don't know. Let's try it. I have a friend who recently sold a business. I have another friend who's going to retire this year as well. We were together not long ago. And, and we ask ourselves this question. What are you going to do next? What are you going to do? And one of them said, I don't think we have to worry about it. God's going to show us what to do just as he has in the past. God's going to show us what to do. And so I'm waiting for that email. (laughs) But I believe that God has always shown me what to do next. And there's very little risk involved. God has always been faithful in my life. Our life hasn't been perfect. There's been some rough patches, some difficulties, sometimes where I've had to really, you know, have some important uh, heart-to-heart discussions with God about the way things were going and, and, and why they were the way they were and why it wasn't like the way I thought it should be and why there were those rough patches in our lives. But God has always been faithful. And it requires faith. I mean, I've gotten to the point now where I finally understand at my age. I mean, if God can take an RCA pastor and make him the lead pastor in a Christian Reformed church, God can do anything, okay? So it's not that much risk involved. We see examples of faith around us all the time. Randy was a man who had decided that he would do almost anything in life but ministry. And he had come to that conclusion because his dad had been a pastor. He would avoid it at all costs. Went into the business world, was a part owner of a business. When he got to his early 50s, he sensed that God was calling him to work in a church and to do ministry, which was something he fought and battled for his whole life. So he sold his portion of the business and went into ministry, served as an outreach director and community service in a church, and would tell you today that he's more fulfilled than any other time in his life. He 
He had to make some sacrifices. It was risky. But God was faithful. Now in a few minutes, you and I are going to engage in an act of faith. I mean, our elders have gone out and they have purchased gluten-free bread. And some juice that all of us could get if we went to a local grocery store. And they took time to cut up the bread and to put the juice in the little cups. It's not any different than, than juice that you can buy at the grocery store any other time in your life. You can have it in your own home. Nothing magical about it. We're going to take these trays and we're going to pass them down the aisle and you're going to take a piece of bread and you're going to, to hold it until we all eat it together as a sign of community. And then we're going to do the same thing all over again with these little tiny cups of juice. Take a sip of juice together as a community of believers. And some people would, would, would walk in off the street and they would look at that and they go, well, it's not that a quaint custom. They're doing this communion thing again. But you and I believe that these little pieces of bread and these little sips of juice somehow in a way that you and I can't understand and no one can explain through the power of the Holy Spirit are signs and seals of God's covenant of love with us and are the very food that you and I need to make this journey that we are on together. I can't tell you exactly how that works. I can't explain to you the mystery of the Lord's Supper. But I believe with all of my heart, and so do you, that that's exactly what's going to happen. Let us pray. So, Lord, as your children, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your faithfulness. We give you thanks for stories of your people, of people who are just like us, men and women who are ordinary and common, who you call and empower to do and to be extraordinary. And in this moment, as we come before you and Share in this meal together. We trust and have faith that you are present here, that you will bless us, and that we're going to receive what we need to be your faithful people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.